But a lot of them were predisposed just to automatically hate me because I was a female or because I was an American. So when I took that off the table, then they got to know me as a human being as well. So I didn't come in there and say, well, I'm the interrogator and I'm this and you owe me that and I'm in control. No, why bother? Right. So I went in there saying, hey, I'm a human. Get to know me a little bit before you judge me, before you make that quick assessment that you hate me and you don't want to talk to me. And in return, I want to get to know you and not just the information, you know, but I want to know what makes you tick. Like, I want to know what your likes are, what your dislikes are, how I can make you more comfortable. um, If there's any issues or problems that you're having. Welcome to the art of communication, where entrepreneurs learn to grow their business more effectively through mastering their ability to connect to others. Whether you're looking to increase revenue, widen your network, or just getting others to buy into your vision, we'll help you dramatically transform your business and life by communicating more effectively, improving your leadership skills, and reinvesting time back into your family. You're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and your life. So let's start the conversation with your host, Greg Rice. Have you guys ever had a prospect tell you yes? but then disappear off the face of the earth. Or maybe you've given someone on your team very clear instructions just to find out that they actually did the opposite. I know that I've struggled with these challenges more than I would like to admit. And I really wanted to learn a better way to read my customers, my team, and the most important people in my life so that I could communicate with them more effectively. And the most powerful way that I found to do this is to learn to read body language and micro expressions. You see, their body and expressions will tell you the truth about how they really feel, even when their words do not. It's an incredibly powerful skill to learn, and one that I want you to learn. And that's why I partnered with the leaders in body language training for business people to offer you a free six-week e-course on body language and micro-expressions. In this free course, you'll learn what micro-expressions are, why are they so powerful, how to spot them, and then how to read them. You'll learn how to make accurate readings, which is so important. You'll learn body language with a big focus on positive body language to understand when things are going really well. You'll learn how to read minds in real time and actually see a demonstration of this. And maybe most importantly, you'll learn how to spot lies and so much more. These folks have trained over 50,000 business leaders and the work has been published in the Harvard Business Review. The concepts have been proven to boost EQ by 10% and sales by 20%. So this is really powerful stuff, guys, that you'll definitely want to check out. So you can sign up for your free six-week e-course at bodylanguagemastery.gregjrice.com. Again, that's bodylanguagemastery.gregjrice.com. And make sure you guys go check that out to ensure that you're never left wondering what happened to that sale or why your team member did the opposite of what you expected them to. What's up, guys? Today, I had a fascinating conversation with Lena Sisko. Lena was a Navy intelligence officer and DOD interrogator, um, one of the first interrogators at Gitmo. And she actually transformed the way that they interrogate at Gitmo to more of a rapport trust-building approach. So really interesting conversation there. Today, she's the founder of the Congruency Group, where she provides training and consulting around body language, lie detection, interviewing, and leadership. And we talked about lots of great stuff. We talked about how she got started in the intelligence world to begin with, and really how she 
went about transforming the approach to interrogation at Gitmo and the success that she had. We talked about how we can all build the attention skills needed to start reading nonverbal and verbal communication at the same time, and it takes a lot of practice. We talked about her keys to detecting deception, and we talked about how she helps leaders today apply what she learned about connecting with others to, to leadership and interviewing in the professional context. So it was a tremendous conversation. I learned so much. I know that you will as well. And we get a really interesting glance into the art and science of interrogation and reading others. Lena, welcome to the Art of Communication podcast. Really excited to chat with you today. I'm excited to be here. And thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. I think there's a ton of knowledge that you can share with the audience. But before we dive into that, I'd love to hear just how you got started in the whole intelligence universe and the world there. Oh, well, it is a story. I enjoy telling it because it is something I never planned or intended on doing. So I had just graduated from Brown and I got my master's in old world archaeology and art. I always wanted to be Indiana Jones and be an archaeologist. So I I became (laughs) one, but I still didn't feel that I connected with it. And I was also out of a job. So I had a good friend of mine and he said, hey, you should join military intelligence and join the Navy with me. It's a reserve program and it's only six years, but they'll pay you. And I was like, ooh, they'll pay me? I can do six years. I'm like, what the heck? Why not? It's a challenge. And I literally joined on a dare. Wow. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so when I joined... I ended up loving it. And so after I finished, uh, they put you in like a year program where you get all your basic intelligence training. So I graduated that and I got uh, assigned to the Naval War College in Newport, Rhode Island, which was I was living in Rhode Island at the time, my hometown, my home state. And so I had this envision of me doing war gaming and all this kind of, you know, neat uh, sci-fi stuff. And a commander came up to me and he said, hey, Siemens Cisco, we have a new program for you. And it's called IPW, Interrogation Prisoners of War. And the Marines are coming by to tell us about it. And we want you to join. And so after listening to the Marines, they scared me. And I was like, oh, no, (laughs) this is not for me. But that was on a Saturday afternoon and Sunday morning, I came back and I found the commander and I said, sir, sign me up because it was just another challenge. And I have this. In my leadership classes, we call it the blue dot scenario. It's we do this program. And after we teach the whole class, we tell them, hey, three of you have a blue dot under your chair. And those three are responsible for doing the teach back of the whole week course. And so we tell them, you can't look now, but the people who think they have the blue dot get all anxious and nervous. And then when I say, ah, I'm lying, there's no blue dots. <laughs> Everyone's like, phew, right, relax. So it's, you know, it's my blue dot scenario. And I just felt anxious and nervous, but I still felt that I had to do it. And I was okay if I couldn't make it or fail. That was perfectly fine because I knew it was a challenge and anyway, it ended up becoming my career. Yeah, absolutely. So what does what training in the interrogation field look like when they're starting this new program and you're one of the first folks to dive into this? What does that even look like? Well, I tell you, it involved a lot of physical fitness, <laughs> which I was not prepared for. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So back in the day, because the training took place in 1999, when we have new techniques and laws to abide by. So it was a little rough and tough. There was hazing involved and, you know, kind of 
we, they had to break us down to build us up mentality, which definitely worked because I graduated the program a much stronger person, I would say physically, yes, but emotionally and mentally. And when I was deployed to Gitmo and I was conducting interrogations, it literally felt like I was just in my training environment but a whole lot nicer. So in the military, <laughs> we tend to train to the worst case scenario, like something that is probably never going to happen to you. But if it does, you're going to be prepared for it. And so, yeah, when I got down to Gitmo, I thought, oh my gosh, this is like training, but a lot nicer. <laughs> I, that's crazy. So Gitmo was nicer than the training. That That's awesome. Yeah. Now you mentioned in your training that they kind of broke you down and built you back up. And I know when we talked previously, we talked a bit about the old way of interrogating and, and how it doesn't work, right? I think it's largely about breaking people down. Tell me a little bit first about why you think the old way doesn't work. And then I'd love to talk about uh, kind of the approach that you leveraged that was so, so successful. So for me, the old way is just antiquated, you know, and you'll hear good cop, bad cop scenarios. But the thing is, is and I quickly discovered this when I was down in Gitmo, and I was also taught the good cop, bad cop approach. I just asked myself, why would another human being want to tell me the truth or be open and honest with me if I'm upsetting them, if I'm making them angry, if they don't like me, or I'm instilling this fear, what on earth would make them want to tell me the truth? Nothing, right? And I thought, this is crazy. This just does not work. I should be taking the little bit of time that I have to work with them and trying to build their trust and make them like me in establishing a human connection, right? And that does not mean that I'm going to accept what you did. In fact, I'm a very hardcore advocate for, listen, you're gonna be accountable and responsible for what you did. But still, I'm sitting across from a human being and I needed intelligence information to save lives. Like literally the stuff we were collecting at that time was going right to people in Afghanistan and in Pakistan and overseas. So it was actionable intelligence. And if I wasn't collecting it, I wasn't help, helping save people. So I just started to figure out, you know what, let me try a whole rapport-based approach and how I talk to people and how I listen to them and the questions I ask and whatever, uh, being non-accusatory. And oh my gosh, it just got me a wealth of information. So much so that I actually had detainees inviting me back to Pakistan to meet their families and have dinner when the wow. war was over. Yeah. I had one, he became my snitch in the camp. He told, he uncovered a huge counterintelligence issue that was happening right underneath our noses and no one knew but he trusted me so much and liked me so much. He even drew a picture of me. Um, he said, listen, <laughs> I have to tell you information and I can't lie to you. And I don't feel right hiding information. So, yeah. So it was a strictly wow. rapport-based, non-accusatory method. And I started diving deeper into how to build that rapport and connect with people and how to carefully choose the words I use when I'm questioning and talking to them. And it's just snowballed into what I teach today. And it's a, a big method of my approach to interviewing. So how do you build rapport and trust in that short period of time with somebody who's probably as predisposed as possible to not wanting to trust you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was funny because... I had one detainee tell me one time, he's like, you know what? I really enjoy interrogation with you. And this is through an interpreter. And he said, but you have to understand if I see you on the streets, I have to kill you. 
It's just the way it is because the brothers expect that of me. And I was like, no worries. That's fine. We'll just keep talking. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> but, uh, but a lot of them were predisposed just to automatically hate me because I was a female or because I was an American. So when I took that off the table, then they got to know me as a human being as well. So I didn't come in there and say, well, I'm the interrogator and I'm this and you owe me that and I'm in control. No, why bother? Right. So I went in there saying, hey, I'm a human. Get to know me a little bit before you judge me, before you make that quick assessment that you hate me and you don't want to talk to me. And in return, I want to get to know you and not just the information, you know, but I want to know what makes you tick. Like, I want to know what your likes are, what your dislikes are, how I can make you more comfortable, um, if there's any issues or problems that you're having. So you kind of start off by asking them just about themselves versus the information that you want and starting to build that relationship. Yes. Because I really needed them to trust me. And the only way they're going to trust me is if I was open and honest and transparent with them. They could they could see right through the ruses and the guises and all the approach techniques. And they got bored of it, frankly. And they would just say, you know, some of them would catch on and be like, well, it's in my file. Or they'd come up with a cover story that they all had the same day and it would change the next day. (laughs) So when I started talking to them more like a human than a detainee, and I started opening up and just being blunt and honest and being like, no, this is what's going to happen. This is your future. This is what's going to happen today. But what can I do for you? And at that point, they're like, oh, okay. She's not playing the game anymore. She's actually talking to me like a human. Yeah. I'm curious if because of the fact that you're a woman and and many of these folks might come from cultures who are less likely to want to have a conversation like that with women. Did that make your job any harder or did it make it easier? What are your thoughts there? I found it easier. And here's why. So I was in that culture. Um, respect is huge. And a lot of respect comes from your age. So when I came into the interrogation booth, although I was a female, I was not a female in their culture. So I was an American female and they view American females differently. And then I had this uniform on. And then I was with an older interpreter from their culture who respected me. And so I was more of a third gender, we call it. And they were curious about me. And so I found that when I came in and I was just open and I was pleasant and respectful, that they were more receptive. So if you would picture like a big six foot four Marine coming in who maybe had a little bravado at that point, there was a little resistance there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, I'm bigger than you. I'm stronger than you. And it kind of became this bravado game. Well, they don't have to do that with me, obviously. So they were more inquisitive and interested in who I was. Interesting. Very interesting. Now, I'm sure you got told a lot of lies. <laughs> and I know one of your specialties is detecting deception. I mean, that's something I get asked about a lot. So I'd love your thoughts on how we can become better at detecting lies. So don't jump the gun. Right. Just because you may have heard something or someone says, oh, they looked away or they, you know, avoided eye contact or covered their mouth or, you know, leaned back or whatever. Those are indicators. But the problem is you need to see clusters of them in order to say, "Okay, this person is probably telling me a lie. But you also have to look for indicators of truthfulness as well. So you have to know the difference between them. You also have to baseline people. And I know it's such a commonly used term in our world and people like oh, the baseline. But it's critical because when I get a sense of how you are, how you behave, how you talk, the sound of your voice, the pitch of your voice, the rate of your speech, any type of words you use, your hand gestures, your facial expressions, your body movements and postures. When I get a sense of that, when you're relaxed, when it changes 
And then I'm listening to the words that you're saying. When all that changes, that's the best indicator of when somebody is lying to me. And we call it behavioral congruence and incongruence. A lot of people say, well, you know, how do I get a baseline? It must take so long. You can do it within five minutes. All you have to do is make sure that person is comfortable. So when I baseline people, it's during my rapport session. It's asking them about things they like and that they're not nervous about or hesitant in talking. And at that point, I can see who you truly are in your behaviors. And then when we get into the more touchier subjects or something sensitive, I can see if it's going to change. You ticked off like 10 things there that you're paying attention to. And something that I've always struggled with that I'm getting better at, right, through practice, is how do you learn to pay attention to all that stuff at the same time and and not miss other stuff like what they're saying in the first place? Mm -hmm. You have to quiet your mind. So a lot of us, first of all, our minds wander, which is perfectly fine, but we have to be, we have to know when it wanders and bring our attention right back. So you have to have amazing awareness, focus, and concentration. But the thing is, you don't want to pinhole it on one thing because you need that open awareness so you can take in the verbal and the nonverbal. And so it's all coming in at once. Stop the internal chatter. We have a lot of conversations going to ourselves inside of our head. But if we are having this conversation, that means we're not listening right? So whenever our attention wanders off because we're hungry or what we're going to do next, or we start to have this little internal chatter, shut it down, pause, and get back to focusing on that person. And the more that you do this, the easier it is to become, or the easier it is to take in more information at once. So in my first month at Gitmo, I was not as aware as I was two months into it. Mm -hmm. But doing it every day, my awareness was probably at the peak that I'll ever experience in my life Mm -hmm. because of being able to take in so much information. But now I have to work at it because I'm not in an interrogation booth every day. For sure. Yeah. And and it comes with practice like anything else, I guess, like getting good at golf, right? You play every day, you're a lot better than if you play once a year, which is where I'm about at today. Exactly. I also, just in my own practice, I find it helps to kind of take one thing at a time right? Like maybe I'm focusing on micro expressions and I'll do that for a while. And then I'll work on tone of voice and I'll try to put those two things together, you know? And and so I'm not trying to pay attention to 10 things at once, more like three and then four and then five and build over time. So my, when I'm training people, I tell them, so I teach one indicator and I show videos over and over. I demonstrate it. We see it in each other. I really want you to be able to pick up on that indicator. Then I move to the next and the next and the next. So when you can really pick up on one indicator and two and three and 10 and 20. Now you can see them easily. So when you start to talk to a person or conduct an interrogation, all those indicators that you are so trained to pick up on, you can see them all happening at once, Mm. which is brilliant. I tell people, just go to YouTube. You can look up videos of known liars and see how they act, their behaviors. Mm. And you can also go look up a TV show, which is on YouTube called to tell the truth, it is a brilliant way to test your observation skills. Interesting. So it's people kind of lying and we have to tell if they're telling the truth or not. Yeah, they have um, two imposters and then one person who is the legit whoever they're claiming to be. It's awesome. I even show a couple in my classes. And are you a master at it? Like, can you watch it and pick them out or do you struggle too? So listen. Uh, <laughs> so if I watch, I, I don't like feel bad. Say, right? <laughs> I would like to say I'm a master, but I'm going to be honest here. No, I don't get every one of them. <laughs> and for those people who say they do, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, I get so, the majority, but not everyone. 
So you mentioned your training a bit. Tell me a bit about the things that you train folks in today. So I really focus in two areas. One is leadership. And then, of course, the other is that interview interrogation. But both focus on interpersonal communication skills, body language, detecting deception, of course, in my interviewing, statement analysis. And for my leadership stuff, I teach a lot of things that I've recently certified in. So how to handle change, the change styles that we have, personality preferences, and how that can affect communication. I'm getting certified today, as a matter of fact, in decision uh, style profiling. And I have my certificate from Cornell in the psychology of leadership. So I think the two bridge very normally, and they complement each other, which is why I kind of you know, got into the leadership training to begin with, because it's all about interacting with humans, you Mm -hmm. know, and you interact both verbally and non-verbally. It just depends on what you want. So in leadership, I want to inspire and motivate um, and lead people in interrogation. I want truthful and honest answers and I want to rapport. Yeah. I mean, uh, interrogating interviewing is all about understanding people and getting to know people. And so is leadership. Certainly. I mean, understanding how to get the most out of people I can definitely see the tie between the two. So I think that that's pretty cool. You mentioned something like statement analysis, right? And that's something I don't understand very well, like the ability to look at written word and understand if there's deception there or not. So tell me a little bit about how that works. So statement analysis, you can conduct just listening to someone, or you can do it on something written like a witness statement. And there are numerous verbal indicators of deception. I think I'm up to... I can't remember how many, but there's a lot, but there's some common ones that really automatically will tell me, dig a little deeper because you're probably not being honest. And one is a lack of accountability, right? Mm -hmm. So when I hear people speaking and they drop the eyes and the my's personal pronouns, and I hear like you or we or us instead, when it should be I and my, it just tells me you're distancing yourself from whatever you're talking about. And there's a reason why you're probably uncomfortable talking about it or uncomfortable with the situation. So I always bring up this infamous case because everybody can relate. And I'm sure everybody's seen it with Anthony Weiner back in the day before he came out and said, oh, you know, admitted to sending the tweet. He would tell people in interviews, well, we're trying to figure out who sent the tweet, right? We're trying to figure it out. You and who? It should be, right? Because if somebody hacked into my Twitter account and did that, I would be saying, I'm trying to figure it out. But he never did that. He would say, we're trying to figure Mm -hmm. it out. And let us tell you, okay, there's never an I in my in there. He did take accountability for the Twitter account because you can't escape that, right? Mm -hmm. I had another witness statement where this individual had shot his wife. And in his witness statement, he wrote something about the gun and the left hand. Because apparently he was trying to say that he was cleaning this gun and the gun was in the left hand. Mm. The left hand, not my left hand. So I'm like... Well, whose left hand was it in? Was there a random left hand on the table? I don't know. But And then there was no accountability for the gun. It became the gun. Interesting. So it's that I and my is critical. And that's just one of many, many indicators that you can hear and you can read. But I pick apart stories and underline and circle and block stuff out. And yeah, you can tell the truthfulness and the deception. And is that something you, you said you teach that as well, the deception? Yeah. Uh, so I have, analysis. 
Yes, correct. I have been asked by a lot of people. So up until this point, I only taught military and law enforcement. That was it. And so now I'm bringing my training online, especially with the pandemic, but I've gotten a lot of requests for it. So I just launched my first uh, program. It's a two-part program. It really starts off as an intermediate. There really is no beginner. So I, I start you at the fundamentals and you dive into intermediate and I call it SWAT which is statement and word analysis training. So the SWAT level one, and then level two will be available around um, April timeframe. And that gets really uh, heavy into a lot of verbal indicators of deception. Very cool. Very cool. Now, I'm curious of, uh, you know, you obviously learned a lot about interviewing people. I'm curious of how you've seen that translate into, you know, leaders and bosses interviewing for roles. Something I always found hard to do when I was interviewing folks, right, is, is this person really a good fit or not? I mean, they're a cool person. I like them. So maybe I should hire them, right? Because everybody looks good on paper. So I'd love to hear about the mistakes folks are making that you see and and just how we can be better interviewers in the job life versus, you know, the criminal interviewing life. Sure. So I, there's one golden rule. And for those of you listening, just follow the simple advice. When you ask a question, just ask for what you want. That's it. So here's what I mean by that. If you want to know how a potential employee or a potential job candidate actually handles stress, right? Or how they act under pressure, you wouldn't want to ask them, well, how do you handle stress? Or how do you act under pressure? Because what is it that you really want to know? You want to know how they're going to be emotionally, physically, right? Can they lead people? Are they going to ghost? Are they going to be emotionally explosive? Are they going to zone out or tap out? You know, so are they going to give the responsibility to somebody else? That's what you're really looking for. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. tailor your questions to what you're looking for. If you as interviewers, especially in um, human resources or, or, you know, your example, trying to interview for the proper candidate. If you're asking vague questions, you're just going to get a vague answer and you're just skimming the surface. There's no way you can get to learn about a potential employee and all of their strengths and challenges if you ask vague questions. So ask for what you want and always keep it to an interrogative. Always, always, always. So that means you start off every question with a who, what, where, when, why, or how. Because if you started off, well, did you, could you, would you, are you? If you ask yes or no questions, that's the only answer you can get. Mm. And you're not going to be able to get to know a person deep down if you ask yes or no questions. So constantly keep it to that interrogative. Yeah, I think interviewing is filled with a lot of, tell me about a time you did this or did that or managed this or overcome, tell me about a time you overcame a challenge, right? Extremely broad. Yes, yes. So I would say, tailor it down, tell me about a time that you overcame a challenge with regards to, if I'm hiring you for sales, with regards to keeping a client who wanted to leave in your last job, right? So tailor it down, make it specific. And then you can really get the guts of the matter, right? And that helps you know that employee or that potential job candidate. Because if you keep it vague, you're not going to get to that level of detail that you need. I think a lot of folks come, obviously, with those answers prepared for questions like that, right? And some of them might be embellished a bit. I'm curious, I guess that goes back to understanding deception and, and trying to get a feel for if they're um, tooting their own horn too much or not. So like 80% of people embellish on their resumes, right? It's just mm-hmm. something that we do. When you are in an interview, you, you're going to watch for the body language to be able to pick up on truthfulness or deception. You're going to listen to the words, how they answer a question, if they can even answer a question, 
And then you have to be able to ask that perfect question and keep that cadence, right? And create an environment where they really want to offer up a lot of information. But here's something else you can do. Every interviewer will hit the wall at some point, meaning, ah, I don't know what question to ask next. Where do I go next? I think I have everything, but I'm not 100% sure. Well, if your gut is telling you that you're not 100% sure, that means you need to ask more questions. You're not done yet. Mm -hmm. So all you have to do is follow up. Listen to the last thing they said. Every narrative statement has nouns and verbs. All you have to do is ask a question about them. That's it, right? I call it following up or further exploiting information. So dig down until there's no more information about that particular topic, right? So if you want to find out what car I drive or if I drive and you ask me, well, what do you drive? And I respond to you, a vehicle. Is that really what you wanted to know? No. Right. You want to know what's the make and model of the car you drive, right? That's what you really want to know. Okay. So I drive a Mercedes. Uh, E350. And what else do you want to know? Are you just satisfied with that? Or do you want to know more about this car? Well, what was the color? How many miles on it? And so you got to dig, 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 dig until you know everything about that car. Just like with a person, right? Dig down to find out all about their strengths, their weaknesses, their uh, responsibilities, what they can bring to your company, their core values, right? Their morals and ethics, all of that. Because if you don't dig, you're never going to get to the information. Uh, you know, I guess the other thing I'd love to dive into is just what you think you've learned from your experience from a leadership perspective. Like what kind of mistakes do you see leaders making when they're trying to motivate their team and influence their team and, uh, and, and, and just motivate them in the right direction? I think two, maybe three big mistakes that I've done um, and I see people doing is number one, know yourself. You have got to, got to, I cannot emphasize this enough. You have got to understand how you come across to other people. Mm-hmm. Have to. And that is verbal, nonverbal. That is with your personality preferences. That is with how you make decisions. That is, you know, your tone of voice. It's everything about you. How do you come across? So get to know yourself. It's how you handle change, right? Because I love change. I'm a high originator. I want to change everything all the time. I drive people crazy. I've been labeled the good <laughs> idea fairy, right? So knowing that about you will only increase your knowledge about the team you're leading and the people you're working with. So number one, know yourself, everything about yourself. If you've never taken a personality assessment, do so. There's even free ones now. Take a Mm -hmm. bunch of them, get to know yourself, and then get to know your people that you're leading. If you don't know the people you're leading, how are you going to be an effective leader? You Mm -hmm. can't, right? And so get to know them. So that means actually talking to them and having conversations with them. I train a lot of high-level SCS people in the government. They Their days are jammed. I don't need, I could never do that job. I give them kudos. But even doing that job, they have to carve time out to get to know their people, right? Mm-hmm. And have conversations. And especially if you're a leader who is in charge of making and initiating changes, please get the buy-in from all the way down to the bottom, right? Get the buy-in from people first and then communicate every step of the way because nobody likes to say, oh, hey, we have a whole entire new time card system or a whole new policy and procedure. Just get on board with it. Just do it, right? Because I know if people tell me that, I'm like, no, I don't want to do it. No one told me about this. No one asked me about it. I don't want to do it. So it's really know yourself, know others and communicate open, clearly, and honestly. Don't fluff it up. Don't pretend to be something you're not. Yeah, I would say those are the three critical things. 
And I couldn't agree more. I've actually worked with people on understanding their personality and, and their biases and all those things, but understanding about the other person as well, then map the two together to see, well, where there's gaps, where there's strengths, where there's things laying over each other. Because if I'm all about being gregarious and telling stories and entertaining, they're all about data, I need to adjust the way that I'm communicating with them. And seeing Brilliant. that visually just helps you think about, well, how, how might I tell this story a little bit different with some more data and cut the story down to just a minute instead of five minutes? And you know, how can I communicate a little bit differently in this situation? I have, when I work with teams of people, I say, listen, I take no offense. When you come in, the best way to communicate, communicate with me is just deliver it. I don't care if it's going to upset me. I don't care. I just want the hard, cold facts because I'm a very go, 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 go person. Come in and just give it to me. Now, I'm a people person and I love that rapport and interaction, but when it gets down to business or especially, you know, in almost a crisis situation, come in, deliver it. There's no fluff. That's it. Tailor the pitch. Make sure when you speak to me, you're decisive, you have a plan. And what I can't stand is come in and complain about something with no way to fix it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I tell my people, this is how to communicate with me. And then I ask them, how would you like me to communicate with you? Right. Because I want to make them happy. They want to make me happy. And all it takes is a little tweaking and adjusting and how we speak to people. Yeah. And it's probably not a question a lot of leaders are asking. How do you want me to communicate with you? And they're probably not clearly saying this is how I want you to communicate with me either. Yes. Yes. You can think of a conversation I've had with a leader like that before. So that's, I think that's great advice. Thank you. So just a few questions I'd like to ask everybody who I have on the show. A few last questions. The first one is around just the power of conversations. And I think you'll agree, right? That conversations can be a very powerful thing. I always like to ask the people who I have on the show, if there's one conversation you can point to in your life that made a really big impact on the direction that you ended up taking. Oh, I already know it. In fact, I write about it in my first book, You're Lying. It was a student of mine. And she, in our, I ran a 10-week interrogation school, and her name is Lisa, and she can read about her story in my book, but she came to me in kind of our after action and to course feedback that we do with the students, and she gave me great advice. She coached me pretty much, and she said, listen, you are just like me. We have the same personality, but I got to tell you, half the class thinks that you are very insensitive, and they don't like you. And it was like a bullet to my heart because I was super stressed at the time. I was running two classes, wasn't eating, sleeping, drinking, nothing. And because I was so stressed, I really dug down into my personality, which is I'm a hardcore thinker, right? So when I make decisions, it's logic and analysis and not so much on how it affects people. And I think I may have said to the students that I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to to train you in this technique to save your life and keep you safe. And they didn't like that, which is understandable, right? But I've also matured since that time and realized like you just can't talk to people that way, Lena. And so yeah. she, when she said, hey, this is how people perceive you. I was like, no, you know, I'm a great instructor. I'm a great communicator. Those students, like the whole entire class, my main goal was to protect them and give them this knowledge. But they didn't see it that way. And so it caused a communication barrier. And man, oh, man. And that's when I decided about a year later, I did this deep dive study into personality preferences and kind of use it now to train people to number one, identify them, but then to figure out how to handle and interact with people who are a different preference than you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I can certainly relate to that. When I first started leading people, like in one of the first jobs where I was managing others, I struggled with a couple of things, right? Number one, I felt like I always had to have that right answer. I always had to know everything. 
And number two, like you, I'm frustrated when people come complaining without having solutions. And like, I knew where we wanted to go. And I was trying to tell the people how to go there. And, and I thought they were saying, this is hard, right? I don't want to do this because it's going to be hard. And that frustrated me. So I tried to push them. I said, look, there's a solution. We got to find it. And what I learned, you know, a couple months later through my performance reviews with my manager, they were like, they think you're condescending. And that, like you said, is like a shot to the heart because I, I perceive myself as a, a nice guy, a personable guy who gets along with everybody and builds good relationships. And the last thing I ever want to be is condescending. Mm -hmm. So it really changed my approach to leadership and how I dealt with others. Um, but it was very painful to get that feedback. Yeah, it's it's I finally just had to say, hey, Lena, people can't read your mind. They don't know that you have their best interests. But what they can see is how you come across to them, your tone mm -hmm. of voice. They can hear that. They can see it. And that's what is important. So you need to make some changes in the way you communicate with people. And I did. And so thankful that I have because it has really lent to my job as an interviewer, but also just as a leader in training and everything I do right now. So always on a, a personal journey to get better. <laughs> for sure. For sure. As hopefully we all are. Um, yes. So second question, thinking about journey to get better, right? If there's one skill that you could have had in more abundance throughout your journey that would have made it easier to succeed. One communication skill, what would that have been? Communication. I was going to say leadership in general, because no one ever taught me how to be a leader. No one ever taught me. I just did what I did without any feedback. So I think the one thing that I would want would be feedback. So I know I haven't answered your question because it's not really a communication skill, but it, but it is because I should have communicated with my the people around me and who I worked with, whether that was my peers or my subordinates or my managers and supervisors, please give me feedback. Mm -hmm. How am I doing in this area? And I never asked for that. And that's a huge detriment. So that's the one thing I would change. Very cool. Interesting. Just thinking back to your time at Gitmo, I'm curious if you got a lot of feedback in that in that world, or you're literally just every day going in and not really having an idea if, if, you know, you can get better in this area or that area. It was kind of that, um, yeah. it was, things were happening so fast down there, but we actually did get to learn and retweak things. And I, like I said, a couple of weeks into it, I said, well, I'm, I'm putting the brakes on here. This is the way we are handling interrogations is not working. We need a change of approach. We need new tactics. And it was down in Gitmo where I started developing and kind of uh, testing my, you know, rapport-based uh, rapport interviewing skills and the non-accusatory inter interviewing skills. And it was so successful, so successful. So a little bit of both, you know, we had to be able to hit our own breaks and say, we need a little detox time here, a little time out to assess how we're doing, but nobody gave us feedback. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Third question. Who's the best communicator that you know, either know of alive or dead. You don't have to know them personally, but who's the best communicator, you know, and why? <sighs> so I struggle with the best questions because I really don't have one, but what I, what I love, I would say in people is number one, be personable, be vulnerable, right? Call it like it, call it like it is too. call out the elephant in the room. Be honest and blunt and open and, and be confident in that. So when I hear confidence, when people speak, I automatically want to listen to them and follow them because confidence attracts people. So I would really say that that's kind of what I listen for. I, recently, I've been getting on um, 
this Facebook and listening to Kelly Roach and Grant Cardone, right? Mm -hmm. And I listened to one of Grant Cardone's videos and he said at one point, you know what? There was a point in my life where I got hit with a $60 million lawsuit. I had nothing. I I didn't even know how I was going to feed my family and look at them today. So I just, when people share personal stories and they're upfront and honest and they speak with confidence, that's what I like. When people skirt around issues, they fluff it up too much and they don't, they're not open with you or transparent. Mm, Yeah. That's when I'm like, okay, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. No, I think it's a great answer and and something we can all probably be a little bit better at, you know? Very cool. So last question for you, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about your courses? Where can they find your books? Just let me know where people can connect with you. All right. Well, you could just go to Google and type in my name, Lena Cisco, and everything will come up. But um, I have a company website where that links to everything. So it is thecongruencygroup.com. All my courses are hosted on there. You'll find a link that says my training center, even though the online courses are hosted through Thinkific. Dot com, so you can find me there as well. It's tcg.thinkific.com. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. <laughs> but uh, for training, go directly to my website. You can also contact me directly through email as well, which is on my front page of my website. Very cool. I'm about to check out some of those courses as well. Yeah. I'll let folks know how they are, but Really appreciate this was awesome. I think you just brought a ton of great nuggets for the audience who are always trying to get better at leading, at connecting, at interviewing, at communicating. So really appreciate all the guidance that you've given folks today. Well, thank you so much. And I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. Don't let the momentum stop now. Continue your path towards connecting at another level by joining the Communication Nation. We'll be discussing today's topics as well as more real-world solutions to transforming your life personally and professionally at facebook.com slash groups slash join the communication nation. Remember, you're only one good conversation away from transforming your business and life. And that conversation starts right here on The Art of Communication.